Introduction of Burt's Treaty of Hawks and Hawking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Walton. Burt's Treaty of Hawks and Hawking by Edmund Burt. Introduction. Of the three treaties by our old English masters of falconry, Turbeville, Latham, and Burt, that of Burt at the present time is unquestionably the scarcest. In the course of twenty years' book collecting, I have heard of but two copies for sale, while in regard to the others, hardly a year lapses in which a few examples do not come into the book market, although it must be confessed at sufficiently high prices, if in good condition. Of Turberville's work, two editions appeared. Footnote. The book of falconry or hawking, for the only delight and pleasure of all noblemen and gentlemen, collected and see by George Turberville, Gentlemen, 1575, second edition, 1611. For the full titles of both editions, with critical notes, see Harding, Bibliotheca Asipa Terraria, pages 12 and 13. End of footnote. Of Latham's four, footnote. Falconry, or the Falcon's Lure and Cure, in two books, 1615, new and second book of Falconry, 1618. Second edition of both, 1633. 3rd, 1653, 4th, 1658. For the full title, see Harding, opposite pages 15 through 17. End of footnote. The treaty by Burt, first published in 1619, has until now never been reprinted, a circumstance, no doubt, which in some measure accounts for its greater rarity. From certain statements of the author, it would seem to have been printed chiefly to oblige his friends and was not intended for general circulation. I did never purpose, he says, to publish in common these my labors, but to have given them privately to whom they are dedicated and to whom I stand devoted. But being discovered to some of my friends, and by them made known to many of the rest, their importunities and earnest persuasions have made me put it to thy press. Farther on, he remarks, in page 8, it hath long lain by me, and that I had not been forward to publish this but in a manuscript, is very well known to many of my friends, but from this may be inferred that only a limited number of copies were originally printed. But whatever cause or causes may have been conduced to its scarcity, the fact remains that at present time the work is practically unprocurable, and this is the more to be regretted, because having been composed by an English falconer of great experience, it is still of utility and value to those who at present day would keep hawks and fly them at game. Under these circumstances, I have undertaken the present reprint in the belief that there are others who will be glad to possess a copy if, like myself, they have tried in vain to procure the original. The text has been set up with great care by Messrs. Ballantine and Hansen by the Ballantine Press, Edinburgh, from an original copy in the possession of Honorable Gerald Lascelles, to whom I am indebted for the loan of it, and it will be found on examination that not only is this a verbatim et literum reprint, but that it, in regard to type and headlines, initials and other ornaments, it is as nearly a facsimile as it is possible to make without the aid of photography. One hundred copies only have been printed. Of the author Edmund Burt, little is known beyond what he himself has told us in his treaty. He lived at Collier Row, near Romford, Essex, and was somewhat advanced in years and in failing health when he was persuaded to publish the results of his experience as a falconer. 
Some of his recipes it appears he had used for sixteen or seventeen years. Page 103. In his method of hooding a shy hawk, he says, he did privately deliver to some of my friends by word of mouth above twenty years since, 1599. And some did carefully follow my direction and did not fail. But it was after he had been ill for some time that he began seriously to think about publication. By gentlemen that have come to visit and comfort me, he says, in the time of my sickness, which hath continued with me for the most part of these three years, I have been overpowered, desiring that my knowledge might not be buried with me to thrust out my labors to public view. Page 8. Amongst his friends and acquaintances, a few are mentioned by name. He alludes to Sir Edward Salyard, a knight of high estimation in this art. Page 40. Old Sir Robert Roth, who had an excellent goshawk. Master Rainerford, who had a hawk, are referred to on page 68. And a worthy baron whom he, on one occasion, met in the strand he did deliver a very sound hawk and had for her thirty pounds page one o six mention is also made of master bachelor that he was master of all the falconers by pals in page ninety five but as a rule his friends and neighbors are referred to as worthy knight to whom i stood bound for many former kind gifts in page eighty eight or two knights both of them very judicious ostringers and two gentlemen of the same family though dwelling ten miles asunder, page 88, or an ancient and skillful ostringer, footnote, one who flies a goshawk, end of footnote, on page 96 and so forth. He used to ride out of Essex into Sussex to hawk over the downs, where, he says, I have killed for the most part of a month together with an intermute goshawk, eight, nine, or ten partridges in a day. The day of my going thither and the day of my return to London was just five weeks and it was a fortnight more in michaelmas term when i came back i killed in that time with that one hawk four score and odd partridges five pheasants seven rails and four hares against my will page twenty nine elsewhere in page ninety nine he alludes to flying at the brook that is at waterfowl in leicester he was very successful in training and flying the goshawk to which species indeed his instructions chiefly relate he had for one goshawk and a tarsal a hundred marks, both sold to one man within sixteen months. For another he was offered forty pounds, in page 105, and ultimately sold her for thirty. He particularly delighted in pheasant hawking with a goshawk and spaniels, and at the time of writing his remarks on the subject, he had seven years' experience in this branch of the sport, in page 37. The hints and advice which he gives in relation to it are accordingly most practical and useful. The following passage, which occurs on page 36, explains how pheasant hawking was pursued. If I spring a pheasant, I cannot in the covert have my dogs at the command that I have them in the field. Let me make all the haste I can after my hawk. I might miss of the quick, finding her, if by my dog's questing I were not drawn where she is. It is ten to one she will not hunt for it upon the ground. If she should, I will teach her wit, but it is more likely that she will, if the covert with broom or furzes be not thick in the bottom, but that she may see it, she will, as it runneth, tend it, flying over it from tree to tree, and when the dogs do spring it, she is so over it, as that it will never rise to go to a high perch. If it should, the hawk would have it before it come there. 
His method of making a shy hawk to the hood in page 44 has already been referred to. His contrivance for preventing a goshawk from perching, page 69, is equally ingenious, and it is believed original. Approbos of the dedication to the right of Honorable Henry Earl Oxenford, it may be noted that in 1795, a silver varvel engraved with the name Oxenford was found near Headingham Castle, the ancient seat of this family in Essex. It is figured and described in the Archaeologia, volume 12, plate 51, page 410, and may well have belonged to the nobleman to whom this book is dedicated. J. E. Harding, Burlington House, Christmas, 1890. An approved treaty of hawks and hawking, divided into three books. The first teaches how to make a short-winged hawk good with good conditions. The second, how to reclaim a hawk from any ill condition. The third teaches cures for all known griefs and diseases. By Edmund Burt Gentleman. To the Honorable Henry Earl Oxenford, Viscount Bulbeck, Lord Sanford and Scales, and Lord Great Chamberlain of England. My honorable lord, I never affected flattery. If I had, I should now have been much disappointed, for your noble worth exceeds what I can say. To particularize your honorable titles, or here to blazon your excellencies, were needless, and shall rather be printed on my faithful heart than published by my ruder pen, especially upon the dedication so slight a subject. Sir, I have long awaited for opportunity in this great while, with the occasion on whereby I might tender some open testimony of my love before I die, which may remain a perpetual memorial of my ever-devoted service. To that end, my lord, I have run back into my younger years to summon the delights of my able youth, together with the fruits of my more experienced age, comprised within a few leaves, to attend your lordship's leisure and humbly to crave your honor's patronage to arrogate to myself by an immoderate commendation of the work were poor, to derogate too much from it through modesty were as a silly, therefore not to be excessive in the one nor too liberal in the other, I would, with your honorable favor, do you thus much to understand. As for the subject, it is not weighty being but a treaty of sport, and to attend and to give place to your lordship's honorable affairs and more serious employments, but as for the handling of the subject, I dare and will boldly say and aver it is good. Nay, I will submit myself to partial censures upon due trial, and hazard my reputation upon true judgment. My lord, I frame not my wavering surmises upon probabilities sink decunt, but I ground my constant opinion upon certainty of problem est nor can I quote any author but myself, and out of my own industrious experiments, I, first, extracted my own conclusions, I reap no man's harvest, but plough with my own heifer. In fine, I here dedicate to your lordship the delights of my childhood, the pleasures of my youth, the experiments of my age, my faithful, though painful labors, my fruitful, though slight, endeavors myself, my continual service and observance to your truly noble self, humbly requesting your honor not to be ashamed to patronize that to which your servant is not afraid to present, and that shall crown my poor endeavors and give my labors an eternal sufficit and make me ever rest.
Your Lordship's humbly devoted Edmund Burt. To the friendly reader, friendly reader, I did never purpose to publish in common these my labors, but have given them privately to whom they are dedicated and to whom I stand devoted. But being discovered to some of my friends, and by them made known to many of the rest, their importunities and earnest persuasions have made me put it to the press, whereby I shall be censored of such as have left judgment, but let it be answer for itself. I have not set down anything so erroneous, but being well examined, it will prove judicious, and although this subject hath already been dealt with all, and well handled by a gentleman of good experience, whose good and probable discourse might be a means to hinder my proceeding herewith, yet a great many gentlemen to whom the goodness of my hawks have been known to be such, as they could not be bettered, do strongly enforce it, that my skill, art, and knowledge must be in the same degree. In truth, I have not kept any hawk about three years, but I have put them off for much money, besides many thanks and much love. I had for a goshawk and a tarsal a hundred marks, both sold to one man for sixteen months. I know there are many of good experience will overlook this my book, and some that are young professors, and some that would learn to profess. But whatever he be that understandeth this profession, I will wish him an able body, a quick spirit, and most of all an earnest love and delight thereunto. To such a man a hawk will quickly teach knowledge, but of him that wanteth wit he will make a fool, and of a dull spirit a true pack-horse. If these good properties shall be wanting in a man, he is hardly to be made a good ostringer, and it will be hard for him to make a good hawk. I would, I were able to deliver plainly what I understand. I will set down, as familiar as I can, the best instructions I am able, but knowledge and understanding, loving practitioner must be gotten by thy diligent and careful observing thy hawk in her sundry passions and sudden toys. Such vigilance, such diligence, and such carefulness will work such an apprehension in thee, as in a little time thy knowledge and understanding will bring forth such effect as that will be able to prevent all her ill inattendments. I cannot set down what thy experience will teach thee, but I rest to give thee full satisfaction by conference. Then I have herein, or can possibly publish, farewell. From my house at Collier Row, near Rumford, thine too is power, Edmund Burt. End of Introduction mm-hmm.